Welcome to the DLA Piper Global Compliance and Investigations podcast. In this series, we will discuss market and legal insight and explore the latest trends and challenges facing businesses today and how they must evolve to meet them, both in the short and long term. In each episode, you get the latest views and insights from DLA Piper's leading lawyers. Hello, I'm Patrick Grappo, your podcast host. I'm a partner at DLA Piper London offices and co-chair of our Global Compliance and Investigations Group. I'm joined today by my colleagues John Forrest, who's partner and head of international trade based in our London office as well, and Ignacio Sanchez, a partner and co-chair of the Federal Law and Policy Group based in our Washington DC office. In this episode, we're discussing all things sanctions. It's a hot topic, uh, and what we're really looking at and drilling down on is what are the global trends, what are global organisations currently coming up against, how are the enforcers behaving, and really, what are the key things your organisation needs to be aware of. So, firstly, welcome to our guests, and over to you, John. Tell us what global trends you're seeing from the uh, the UK-Europe perspective. Patrick, thank you for the introduction. I think if we look back through 2022 on to 2023, three things stand out. I think the legal and regulatory environment for sanctions has got far more complex. The types of measures are now hitting across a a number of sectors and certain different jurisdictions. The business environment has got far more challenging. It's now far more difficult and challenging for all of our clients to consider how they not just keep up to date with the measures, but then seek to comply with the measures. And I think crucially, legislators have just got more creative. They've moved far away from traditional asset freezing measures. I think a a lot has been learned from where sanctions ended up with Iran. But we've seen new sanctions targeting a whole range of activities in the finance sector, in the energy sector, in the insurance space, in the aviation space. So it's become more complicated. It's become more complex. It's become far more difficult to keep up to date. I also think there's a different overlay to this from a UK and EU perspective. I think crucially, and we'll come on to talk a lot more about Russia later, now is the first time that clients are really having to get to grips with that divergence between UK and EU sanctions. I think whereas previously they only had the one regime to consider, and that would be the UK implementation of EU sanctions, they're now having to consider compliance with UK, EU and US sanctions that Eddie will come on to talk about. And whilst there is a high degree of coordination across these jurisdictions, key divergences are emerging. So complexity, difficulties in keeping up to date, challenges in doing business, and understanding that regulators are looking at various different options to target activities they want our clients to stop. And certainly we're noticing a lot of that as well on the UK side, legislatively, because the Economic Crime Transparency and Enforcement Act of last year clearly brought in criminal offences and strict liability criminal offences in relation to sanctions breaches. And this year, OFSI is the regulator of choice in the UK, is staffing up and bringing in more members to uh, to fight this fight. But Ignacio, from your perspective, any other key global trends that you're seeing... 
First of all, Patrick, thank you for inviting me to this podcast. From our perspective, it's a little bit different because the U.S. has historically had a very robust sanctions program. And what we are seeing here is sort of the expansion of that program into two territories that we really have not seen a focus on before. And those are China and Russia. I will second what John said. I think there is a much greater coordination with respect to Russia and I think some aspects of China between the U.S., the U.K., and the EU. But we're seeing that focus on Russia from other jurisdictions as well. With respect to Russia, I think we're going to see, as John said, more creativity. It's not just blocking. We're seeing restrictions on financings. We're seeing restrictions on investments. We're seeing restrictions of very many different kinds. And sometimes it's driven by the executive branch, but sometimes it's driven by the legislature. China, the same. I'm making my second trip to Asia at the end of this week, the second trip in in the last three months, because of the keen interest in that region on U.S. sanctions U.S. restrictions on China. And I think it's in the investment field, in the trade field, but also we're seeing a lot more focus on forced labor-related sanctions and restrictions. Thank you for that. In terms of your position, John, Iggy's brought up the great point there about particularly the focus on Russia and China and what's happening with the Uyghurs there. What's the impact of that like on clients in the UK and Europe? I think the first thing to underline is the impact of Russian sanctions on moving the whole issue of sanctions up the governance priority list for all of our clients. You're now very likely to see that sanctions is one of the the top three risk areas for all of our clients. And it fits very neatly into this larger focus on on governance. And just to explain a, a little bit more of that, if We look at all businesses and how they go about governing what they do. A lot of that is going to be predicated on what's being driven by the banks. Any client that is looking to secure financing from a bank, any clients, and all of our clients will, holding accounts and processing payments through banks, they will need to reassure their banks what they're doing not just to manage their own risk, but to manage the bank's risks, to manage the fact that all banks want to ensure that they are not at risk of financing or promoting any activity that is is subject to sanctions. I think at the other end, you've got the insurers. Insurers are increasingly asking our clients about their activities. They're increasingly looking to exclude coverage that may be impacted by sanctions. And therefore, you can see that what this comes back to is key elements for all of our clients. How do they go about getting financing? How do they go about managing their risk through effective insurance? So governance is key. And I think you are far more likely now to see decision makers at C-suite level getting far more into the detail of sanctions and doing what they must do to ensure that their company remains on the right side of the law in terms of their sanctions compliance. I think what we're also seeing in terms of sanctions against Russia, I think from a UK and EU perspective, this has been the most hard-hitting sanctions regime. Um, Effectively, we're looking at seven, eight, nine years of Iranian sanctions 
condensed into a, a six to 12 month period for Russia. And clients have needed to keep on top of that. We're seeing new sanctions imposed on a, on a monthly basis. We're seeing announcements made with no underlying legislation. And clients need to get their head around that in terms of what they're doing. I think from an enforcement perspective, it's interesting because on one hand, you can look at it through the regulatory prism. On the other hand, you can look at what wider stakeholders are expecting. And I think this fact is interesting. I think a, a lot of sanctions compliance is being driven by stakeholder expectations. Suppliers and customers want to do business with clients that operate in accordance with their sanctions obligations. They want to ensure that they're doing business with companies that operate to good ethical standards. They want to ensure that they're doing business with companies that aren't at risk of either financing or offering wider support to the Russian regime. And I think that offers a lot of scope for not just clients to consider how they manage these risks, but also what the impact is if they continue to do business in terms of wider stakeholder expectations. From the regulators front, it's clear we've seen a, a ratcheting up, as you mentioned earlier, of resources amongst the enforcement agencies. A lot of that has been focused on supporting license applications and processing them. But a significant amount of resource has been put into enforcement activities. We have seen a, a lot more requests for information from regulators, both in the UK and in wider EU jurisdictions. They're asking questions of our clients. What business do you do in sanctions jurisdictions? Who have you been doing business with? How do you go about ensuring compliance? I think from an internal investigations perspective, clients are now looking a lot more deeply at what it is they're doing in Russia. They're also looking at how they can potentially extract themselves. So again, the continued theme here, more complex, more difficult to keep abreast of things, more challenging to keep on top of legal and regulatory environments. And effectively, the chilling effect of these sanctions is in line with policy objectives, which is to get our clients out of Russia. And certainly looking at the um, UK Economic Crime Plan, which is due to come out fairly shortly, there's a real focus on combating kleptocracy and driving down sanctions evasion, as well as a real focus on reducing money laundering and recovering more criminal assets. So not only is there likely to be a real uptick in sanctions enforcement, there will be a real uptick in the anti-money laundering regime as well. And staff is expected to reach uh, now from five up to 100 members of staff in office. Season. There should be a real, very real uptick in relation to that. And compliance, frankly, is the only way you know, forward to make sure that you've reviewed things in advance. So, Iggy, in terms of the US clients and how Russian sanctions are impacting upon them, what are the focus areas for companies and what enforcement trends are you seeing? Well, a couple of things. In the first instance, I think that most US institutions are accustomed to these issues because of the long history of robust sanctions enforcement. Uh, John will recall these, the billion-dollar penalties that were imposed by the U.S. Treasury on foreign banks for using the U.S. financial system for trading with Iran or other prohibited jurisdictions. The civil side 
I will comment on in a second. But what has been most interesting is in the last year, a few months ago, Lisa Monaco, the Deputy Attorney General of the United States, the number two person in the Justice Department, made the statement that sanctions are the new FCPA. That is a very strong statement for someone in her position because so many FCPA criminal enforcement actions have been brought. And what she is signaling is that the U.S. is looking at sanctions and not just from having the U.S. Treasury Department's Office of Foreign Assets control imposing civil penalties, but that they are now starting to look at the criminal enforcement of those statutes. So as John said, that is getting the attention of the C-suite and the general counsel's because they realize that the consequences of that and the potential for having monitors, deferred prosecution agreements, and the like that no company wants to have to address. On the civil side, the Treasury Department's OFAC continues to have significant enforcement. We're seeing a lot more enforcement action by the Commerce Department on the export controls or the product flow controls that we have. We're also seeing much less tolerance for inheriting violations due to mergers and acquisitions, which is particularly important. Historically, we would hear a company would come to us and say, I purchased this company in Europe. They're doing business with Iran. I'm just using an example. How do we fix that? And you would get into it and fix it. And the the current director of OFAC, Andrea Gacki, through enforcement actions at first and then through published guidelines, basically said, you must do your due diligence in advance. No excuses for acquiring uh, violating operations. Put your compliance systems in place before the merger is consummated. So that is a, a new trend as well, where we're seeing a lot more activity. Before the merger, or is there given any leeway to do sort of post-acquisition, certainly on the UK side, on the normal sort of bribery and corruption compliance for all money laundering, you would end up often doing it after the acquisition, but pretty quickly to make sure that you're falling within a reps and warranties period. Are you really having to do that stateside pre the acquisition? She's very clear through the enforcement and the guidelines that it has to be pre-acquisition. You must set the house in order so that as of the acquisition, you are compliant. So that becomes significantly more challenging. Deals have to take that into account. And we're finding those transactions where that has not been done, then having to remediate the issue, having to investigate the potential issues that may have occurred, the transactions that may have occurred, and then having to deal with disclosures to the Treasury Department. And then the other area of very significant change in attitude from the Treasury Department in particular is, and this started back with the invasion of Crimea, where we started to impose certain limited investment sanctions in Russia, where U.S. entities could not acquire debt or equity in certain Russian entities. But that was taken to a completely different level with respect to China. President Trump imposed certain restrictions. President Biden did as well. They were list-based. By that, I mean that the Pentagon came up with a list of companies that U.S. companies should not be investing in because those investments were deemed to be counter to the U.S. national security interest. There is a significant debate occurring as we do this recording between Congress and the administration, and there is an expectation that President Biden, and if he doesn't do it, Congress will impose sector-wide investment prohibitions related to China. And that will have a very significant impact globally. It also creates, we will see how they word it, but in the last go-around, they also mandated 
divestment from the pre-existing investments that companies may have had in these listed entities. So if you can imagine if they say no investments in any company that has artificial intelligence capabilities in China, that on a going forward basis is hard enough. But if you've already invested and they give you a year to divest, that will create a significant amount of compliance activity. Okay, John, in terms of your side, looking at this with that sort of UK, EU lens, what do you think are the key takeaways for companies, for organizations, what they should be doing to protect themselves against the risks? Let me try and keep this relatively simple. Patrick, I always come back to what I refer to as the five Ps, and it's how companies go about carrying out an appropriate risk assessment focused on the places that they do business in. Are any of these places subject to specific restrictions or specific sanctions regimes? So understanding where you do business, what places are you doing business in? People you're doing business with, are any of these people, any of these persons on sanctions lists? Are they owned or controlled by anybody that's on a sanctions list? How do you go about conducting screening, an appropriate risk-based screening, to ensure that none of the persons that you're doing business with are on sanctions lists? P3, purpose. What is the underlying purpose of any particular transaction that you're looking to do? Increasingly, these sanctions are focusing on a wide range of activities, a wide range of services with specific policy objectives in mind. What is the underlying purpose of any transaction? Are you sure that this activity itself is not subject to sanctions? P4, products. Getting a real understanding, and the lists are expanding on a daily basis. What products have you got within your infantry that are subject to sanctions, export controls, trade embargoes, to the places that we identified straight up? That's becoming far more challenging. And here, you're not just at risk of transferring these products directly either to a a prohibited end user or a prohibited destination or for a prohibited end use, they're also indirect. So again, what are you doing with your immediate counterparties to ensure that your products aren't diverted to a destination or a use or an end user that they shouldn't be? P5, crucial, payments. We all want to get paid for doing business, goes without saying. What's the policy of your bank? in terms of facilitating business either with sanctioned jurisdictions or involving sanctioned or trade embargoed products or dealing with people that are on sanctions lists. In terms of those payments, what licenses are available, whether general or specific? So I come back to understanding the places you're doing business, understanding the people that you're doing business with, understanding the purpose of any transaction, understanding the products and what restrictions there are on those, and understanding how you're going to get paid and the approach that your bank's going to take. I always like having various acronyms or numbers of things for people to do, certainly in the bribery and corruption sphere. It's the uh, six adequate procedures principles, which mirror a lot of those matters that you've been talking about there. John, Iggy, from a US perspective, is there anything additional that companies should be worried about on top of those five Ps? Well, I definitely second the five Ps. I would add one of the items that the Treasury Department puts out all the time in their what they consider to be a an adequate compliance program is tone from the top, right? And from that, sometimes I see clients 
companies that we were introduced to that they believe sanctions compliance is some exotic, bizarre area. And I always try to explain that compliance is normal. It is not extraordinary. How you do it and how you implement it should be not something that is ad hoc. It is institutional. So with that in mind, they also need to recognize that they shouldn't be afraid of the regulators that are involved. The Treasury Department in particular, you see the higher personnel there who will make the comment, we know if you're engaged in global trade that you're going to have interactions with parties. John mentioned insurers. Global insurers do cover customers around the world. You may have a customer who has an exposure to a client, to a party who is on the sanctioned list or in a sanctioned country, and and you must simply deal with it. But don't be afraid of the regulator. And what I mean by that is they are accustomed to be receiving reports. We saw this, we've caught it, we've remediated it, and we have taken care of it. Clients who do that are typically treated very well by the Treasury Department. They have a hierarchy where they can do everything from a no action letter, which is thank you for advising us, to a cautionary letter, which is you may have done something wrong, but we're not going to enforce, or then some enforcement action. That, the ability to have a record of how you comply and how you have done this, and we have had clients who have done dozens, if not more, disclosures, and get treated appropriately for their coming forward. It's the ones that don't do it and then are caught in a difficult situation that then Treasury starts to look at and say, why haven't we heard from this company before? They're a global entity. They must have had many others. And then they get very curious. Those are the ones who are at risk of then being bumped up to Lisa Monaco for criminal enforcement in the future. And the third thing I would say is for U.S. companies, and many have gotten very good at this because we were seeing a lot of activity in this regard, is to anticipate what's coming. We have had our clients asking us, tell us what you think is coming from the White House. Tell us what you think is coming from Congress. A lot of interest in the select committee that has been established on China in Congress, who is an investigative committee looking at compliance issues. We started to see two different committees in Congress making inquiries of the automobile industry, domestic and international, and their supply chains going back to Xinjiang province. So that anticipation, that don't wait until the sanctions happen, but get involved, have appropriate representation that will watch out for your interests, that will be telling you, look at what we're seeing, get prepared. I think we're seeing a lot more of that. Patrick, there's one final point I want to add to that just before we look to wrap up. And it brings us back to the banks. All of our clients are now going to be far more familiar with the questionnaires that they receive from the banks. And there will be a key question in there. Do you have any knowledge or cause to suspect that you violated sanctions in any way? Have you got any pending or potential investigations coming down the track? And clients have a choice here. They can either effectively deal with the issue, remediate it, disclose it to a regulator, such that when they come to answer the question, they can answer it from a position of of strength that the matter's been dealt with. It's been discussed in an open and transparent way with a regulator and effectively put to bed. Or they're going to need to consider very, very carefully how they disclose a potential breach to their banks absent having done the appropriate remediation and reporting that's required of them. 
Well, I think the other thing as well is if there is such a breach and if the company is effectively profiting from it, which it will be, there will be a proceeds of crime issue as to having monies in their possession which come from an illicit illegal source. And whether or not you're in the uh, regulated sector where you have a mandatory duty to report, what you will have is effectively a breach of the uh, money laundering regulations. But just in terms of wrap-up, anything else, John, that you think that our audience should be keeping an eye out for? Things are only going to get tougher. I think we've seen a, a couple of things happened in the, the past few days. First, obviously, there's a, a lot more focus on how China is going to engage in the Ukrainian conflict and what that means in terms of ratcheting up what is already a, a fantastically hostile and unstable environment. The second will come off the back of, of President Biden's visit to Ukraine. Again, I think there is still a high degree of coordination and commitment by Western countries to ensure that Russia is continually targeted by sanctions that are only going to increase to try and avoid either further escalation and to convince companies that they need to stop, divest and effectively get out of Russia. And again, anything on your side? Well, I'll second what John just said with respect to Russia. I think we're seeing a lot more interest and focus also on China, because I think that's going to be a situation that we're going to be dealing with for the next 10 to 15 years. And that is going to have global impacts. I would also just add from our clients out there listening, take a look at your compliance program. I am never surprised when I look and the client presents, well, look, here's our compliance program. And it is a beautifully written compliance program for 1995, but not for 2023. So many times they need to update these these programs, have them looked at and make sure that you're applying your compliance protocols to the current global circumstances. The last thing I would mention is a lot of clients are very interested in the various ESG type of compliance programs. There is a lot of representations that are made. And I remind them that the G in ESG would pull in your sanctions obligations. And in various jurisdictions, I worry that the representations, if they are not accompanied by a robust compliance program, could then open those clients up to potential class actions and other litigations based on the representations that they're making. And it's not just the compliance program, it's effective implementation, auditing, monitoring of the compliance program. It needs to be effective. Well, it's essentially the six principles under the um, Adequate Procedures Defence for the Bribery Act. They're effectively useful to look at for anything, which is toned from the top, proportionate procedures, risk assessment, due diligence, auditing, and then communications and training. If you're not doing the basics of the G, you really needn't worry about the E and the S because you could face billion-dollar fines from just messing that up and not doing it properly. Look, we could speak all day in relation to these things. Thank you very much, Iggy. Thank you very much, John, for joining us and giving your views. But there we have it. The most important things you need to know regarding sanctions wrapped up in, well, maybe just over 20 minutes. Apologies, we've overrun. But of course, if you've got any specific inquiries that you'd like to discuss in relation to sanctions, please don't hesitate to get in touch with any one of us via the links shown in our notes. Thank you for listening and watch out for the next podcast and hopefully we'll meet again then. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the DLA Piper Global Compliance and Investigations podcast. Subscribe now through your usual podcast provider so you don't miss an episode. 
thank you and we look forward to you joining us in the future.